a series called Unstuck. I hope you've enjoyed it. We're actually in part four, and I'm going to dive right in. Uh, this, this, this whole series is becoming a life message for me. I really believe God is going to use it to change lives and transform lives. I think for so long, there have been a lot of Christians, people who God has changed. They've been saved They've been delivered, they've been set free, and yet they still don't walk in the fullness of God's victory for their life. And that's a frustrating thing. I was raised in church my whole life. Um, my mom, since the time I can remember, went to church um, and brought us to church. My dad would come whenever he wasn't working, and uh, we were just raised in church. And I know what it's like to know what to say and how to respond and what to do to fit into the Christian crowd. Uh, I know what it's like to have the right answer in my head, but not know the truth in my heart. Um, and, and I just remember how when I was saved, God did set me free. God did deliver me. But I found that I was sabotaging my life in a way that I didn't even realize it. And I have to tell you this, I'm just coming to the realization of that even this year. And this whole message today is called Sabotage from Within. And so I think that God in his greatness, in his sovereignty, has given us all the answers to life. It's all in his word. The problem is, if we don't have the right perspective, if we don't have the right understanding, we can have it in front of us and it not transform us. It could be in our head but not really change our hearts. And today, really, this message today, I believe, is going to change some of you, so set you free. If you'll receive it, if you'll allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you in it, I really believe it's, it's going to be a day you'll look back on and say, from that moment, nothing's been the same. I was actually, this series came from uh, a moment during the coronavirus. Uh, you know, it's very interesting how 2020 started. Uh, how many did not think 2020 would end like it's ending now or how it's, how it's, how it's turned out? Uh, I remember the Lord gave us a word, moving forward. I really prayed and sought the Lord for 2020, and we were pursuing the property that we now own as a church. You, you saw the banners out in the front. We put up the banners of the, what the inside is going to look like and working hard to get the final blueprints done so we can get the permitting started. And so the whole year, I felt the Lord said, this is going to be a year of, of moving forward, not only as a church, but individually. And we're all excited. In the end of March, Corona hits. And social distancing we didn't even buy the building yet and I mean know at some point you probably thought man are we ever gonna buy the building we had to raise a million dollars in a hundred days we raised 1.192 million dollars in 150 days and we closed on the property when no churches were meeting we were all online it was totally a God thing and I was reminded of his word sometimes you got to go backwards to go forwards Sometimes some of you feel like, man, I'm going backwards, but I want you to know you're just being positioned. God has pulled you back in a slingshot, and the only one that can disqualify you is you. The only one that can sabotage God's divine setup is you. And I'll never forget, it was July 11th, sitting in my bedroom, had just been quarantined and working from the house, spending time with God, and every day I read my one-year Bible, so I'm looking up in the passage that day in Acts 28, 
is what the daily reading is. If you don't read the Bible every day, let me just tell you, I, I heard a statistic that if you'll just read the Bible four times a week, it'll transform your life. Like statistics show divorce rate decreases, anxiety decreases, fear decreases. And, and so we have so many Christians that won't read the Bible. You'll come and hear it, but we don't read it. And probably about 10 years ago, I really began the practice of every year reading through my Bible. So I read the one-year Bible. It gives me a little bit of New Testament, Old Testament, a Psalm, and a Proverb. Uh, and so I love the diet that it gives me. Well, on this day, it's Acts 28. Well, I just read on the day before Acts 27. And that's the journey that Paul goes on uh, as a prisoner to Rome to go and stand before Caesar and to proclaim the gospel to Caesar. So he's on the sea. Storm happens. He's wrecked. Now, I've been talking to God. I'm like, God, what do you want me to talk about? To your people because look I get the privilege to pastor you but you're not mine you're God's and so God what, what I always feel the responsibility of what do you want me to say to your people and I just felt this message of being unstuck like we are stuck I can I just be honest I got stuck oh you got I did why because I'm human I'm normal I mean we started off strong come on somebody but about four months later, you're like, good Lord. Are we even going to have a church? Are we, what's life ever going to be like? And so I just, so I'm like, God, what do you want us to talk about? And, and, and I go into this passage in Acts 28.10 is the passage where everything unfolded for me. So you got to imagine, I'm asking God, what do you want me to share on, to your people to help us get unstuck? And then... I've read this passage of, of Paul. He's on this journey. Now, Paul has a, a terrible experience, right? He's, number one, he's a prisoner. Number two, he is in the middle of a storm, and he told them not to go because of something bad was going to happen, and they didn't listen to him. So he is a victim of his circumstance, a real victim. I do think there's a difference. Some of you act like victims, and some of you have been a victim, but I wonder how much of it is just because you're acting like a victim. So he's actually a victim, but here's what I know. Just because you were in a situation that caused you to be a victim, you don't have to live as a victim. And Paul said, I, you know, I told you so. I love the whole, I told you so. Come on, hit your spouse. Yeah, I told you so. See, that's even biblical, honey. Telling your spouse, I told you not to go there and do that. And so Paul's rummaging into their face, and, but he says, listen, nobody's going to die. So he gets onto the island the island of Malta, which is a beautiful island. And I, I thought came to my mind, look, one man's paradise is another man's prison. Some of you are living someone else's dream for your life and you're locked into their paradigm, into their paradise. God never called you to settle there, but to move on. And so here Paul's there. He goes to get some sticks. He's helping. Come on, dream teamers. He's out there serving. He ain't even just sitting there being lazy. He's out there working, throws wood on the fire, and a viper, a deadly snake, bites him. And so here he is. He's been bitten by this viper, didn't do anything wrong. He's serving. Don't be surprised, dream teamers, when the devil comes attacking your life. But I love what Paul did. He shook it off. Some of you just need to shake it off. Shake, shake. Y'all remember that? Shake it like a Polaroid? Come on, some. Yeah, so I don't know. I just came up outcast, wasn't it? Da -da -da. That's all the older people. Some youngins, you're like, outcast. So shaking it, shake it off. 
shakes it off. People start to talk about him. Oh, well, he must have done some bad things, murdered people, something the gods are getting back. They're bringing retribution. He will surely die. We know what happens is he doesn't die. And so what was meant to kill him, what was meant to destroy him, actually sets him up for revival on the island. And so what the enemy is doing in your life, if you'll close your mouth, if you'll respond and not react, God will use it to give you influence because we know Paul had influence with the leader of the island. And in that influence, God healed the leader's father, which then opened up the entire island. And some of you, you're trying to let off the steam that God's got you under, trying to let the pressure off by talking too much. Some of you disqualify yourself by just talking. So Paul didn't say a word. He just lived it out. Sometimes you just got to live it out. Just keep my mouth shut, my, my, my head down, my butt up, and I'm grinding. I'm just going. And so we see that happen in Paul's life. And, and then we realize, my God, bad things have happened, and yet he's not a victim. He's not bitter. He's not angry. He's not offended or frustrated. He actually walks in a different way, and he is, his life makes an eternal impact. And this is the passage that really challenged me because what I thought was, look, if I'm stuck, I'm stuck. And that's the lie of the enemy. The lie of the enemy is just because he says, look, you're stuck, and, and then makes you believe you're stranded. But just because you're stuck doesn't mean you're stranded. Stuck is a circumstance. Stranded means there's no hope. It's hopeless. Some of you have been stuck so long you believe the lie that says there's no hope for your marriage, there's no hope for your finances, there's no hope for your family, there's no hope for your future because you've been stuck so long. And then I come across this passage in Acts 28.10, and this is where the whole passage and the whole series and the whole thought came from. It says this, when we were ready, three months have passed, and we don't know what happens in this journey, but we do know this, that the Bible says, when Paul was ready, what happened? The people supplied everything he needed to leave the place where they thought he was stranded. Here's what I know. When you have the right paradigm, when you have the right mentality, when you have the right attitude about the situation you're walking through, the Bible says when you're ready, God will provide, and I love it, God provided through the same people who hated on him. Haters can hate, 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 but God's going to turn it around, and don't be surprised if they're the very ones that provide the provision for your future. I know, Reverend Swift, you heard that, huh? He wasn't a victim. He responded, he didn't react. And how did he do it? We know it's because of his paradigms. Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. This is, this is a passage that I learned even as a teenager. My mom always taught me to write down what the Lord was speaking to me. And when I would have the Bible and read it, there are times when Scripture come off the pages. That's what we call a rhema word. It's, it's revelation. It touches your spirit. Logos word is the written word. That means you read it. It's just as powerful. But as I read my one-year Bible, it's amazing. It's almost just in sync with my life because a passage like this, when we were ready, comes off the page and God begins to speak to you. Well, when I was younger, a passage that I studied was Philippians 4.13. It says, I can, everybody say can. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, in my family, we started something. I don't let the kids say I can't. We don't say I can't. I find myself sometimes saying it. 
Um, you know, but the kids will say, Dad, no, Kyle's can. Kyle's can. Why? Because if you think you can, then you can. You'll actually do it. Because when you think you can't, you shut off all possibility of ever having hope of doing what you want to do. But when you think it's possible, when you think it's can, it's not can I, it's how do I. Some of you got to flip the script right there. You've been saying can't so long and you think, well, there's no way. And as long as you have that paradigm of I can't, you never will. But the moment you say I can, now it's like, God, how do we do it? How's it going to happen? I don't know, but God, you can. Why? Because inside of me, you give me the power, the strength, the ability to do all things, not in my strength, but in your strength. And so here we see Paul, it's a paradigm, it's a mentality, it's this, it's this filter with which he is seeing his life through. I can, and of course we know Paul did. Your paradigm determines your quality of life. Whatever your filter is, whatever it is that you see life through, the paradigms of your life, it determines your quality of life. It's, it's not how much scripture you know. I'm going to break some religious bubbles. Look, I know a lot of you gave your life to Christ here, so you don't have any of these old mindsets. Like, if I just get enough scripture, look, it's all good. It's great. I study scripture. I memorize scripture. But can I tell you, I did that for years and never saw any results. It's more than just getting scripture in your head. It's the filter and the paradigm with which you view those scriptures that matter. Because then you'll quote them, but you'll believe it for everybody else, but not you. Oh, I know you can, God. And then your mind says, but you never will. You haven't done it yet. So it's more than just getting the word of God in your heart. It's the paradigm and the filter that you see the word through. Let me, let me show you this picture. There's a picture right here. Uh, guys, y'all show that picture of the glass. I want you to look at this. So tell me what you see. Somebody just say it out loud. Half what? Half full. Does somebody see half empty? Don't be scared. Don't be chicken. You're like, don't be scared. Just, hey, just say it loud and proud. Half empty. Come on. Anybody, anybody see it half empty? There you go. So who's right? Both of you are. And think about that. So you're seeing something. Now the way you view something and what you see determines what you do. It determines your filter. It determines how you respond. So if you see the glasses half full, your, your response is, I'm satisfied. Oh, it's so good. Yeah, why? Because my glass is half full. So you're going to sip that water. You're going to eat your food. You're, you're satisfied. And so now you, you live in contentment. Well, if you see it as half empty, you're dissatisfied. What you doing? You're looking for the waiter. Hello, excuse me. Come on, Corona ate at this table. Can you please come give me some new water? Right? Come on. And you, you don't even enjoy your meal. Why? Because it's half empty. Somebody, I may take a drink. I may take a sip. And as I do, then there'll be nothing left. It's scarcity. It's lack. It's not enough. Now, here's the thing that we have to understand is where did you get that from? How did you learn that? Well, you learn that through your paradigm. And how is your paradigm formed? I'm going to talk about that this morning. How is it that I have the paradigm that I have in my life? Because when we realize that paradigms are actually formed and it's not something that is just in me and there's nothing that I can do about it. Look, if it was formed, it can be reformed. If it was put in me, it can be remodeled. It can be changed. It can be redone and reformed according to what God's word says 
about me. And so paradigm, what is it? Paradigm is the unseen subconscious programming that runs in the background of your mind. It's the unseen subconscious programming that's always running in the back of your mind. It's in the background. You, you're, you're not even aware of it. It's, it's something that happens. I, I, I shared this study last week about from the National Science Foundation that said the average person has anywhere from 12 to 60,000 thoughts in a day. Now, if you knew all of those thoughts, how many know you'd just be exhausted thinking your thoughts? So think about all the thoughts that you had today already that you were absolutely unaware of. Those are your subconscious thoughts. They just invade your mind when you're not thinking about anything or you're walking. And, and so you're constantly being bombarded with these thoughts. But the interesting thing about that study is that it said 80% of the thoughts that you have in a day are negative. Negative. And here's what was even more shocking. It says that 95% of your thoughts are repetitive. That means I had the same thoughts today that I had yesterday. I had the same thoughts yesterday that I had the day before that. And so my life is consistent and I'm trapped in a cage that I've made for myself. And I'm unaware of it. And so I come to church and that 5% changes. I've been negative, but I'm going to change it. I'm here on a Sunday. But how many know it takes more than 5% for you to tip the scale of change in your life? So you come to church, you're like, God, I heard it. Yeah, you heard it here, but you didn't hear it here. And that was not enough to change. And so you go to church year after year, not seeing any change. Then God, you're mad at him. You're like, God, I've been going to church for a long time. Somebody like, I've been going to church for six months. Here's what's interesting. When Paul was converted on the road to Damascus, he was saved in that moment. Most people don't know this, but Luke talks about him very little for the next 14 years. Why is that? Because he was out in the place of loneliness, being fashioned and formed into God's image, getting God's thoughts, getting God's perspective, getting God's heart retransplanted into not only his heart, but his mind. See, when you're saved, you're perfect instantly. You are made, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, you are made the righteousness of God. So there's an exchange, my sin nature, and then I take, he takes my sin nature, I take his, his perfection, his righteousness. Now that is sanctification, but now the problem is you've got to now be transformed throughout the rest of your life. That's justification. Sanctification, I'm sorry, I said it wrong. Justification happens in a moment. It's when I'm saved. Come on, somebody. Perfect. You don't get much better than this. Come on, somebody. But sanctification, that's the process. That's the lifestyle. That's the 14 years of Paul. He said, well, how do we know? Because he wrote about it. God used him to write two-thirds of the New Testament so we see the change in his mind. Think about this. He's a man who talks about love, yet he was a murderer. He's a man that talks about forgiveness, yet he killed Christians and persecuted them. His life in the past was nothing but terror, horror, and judgment, and death, and destruction. And then God touches him, spends time with him, changes him, transforms him, gives him a new mind, a new paradigm. He begins to live it out. And now he says, love your neighbor. He says, look, go out and do whatever God says because I can do it. 
and I can be it. And I, I'm just convinced we think it's going to happen in a moment, and it doesn't. Your paradigm has almost exclusive control over your habitual behavior. So most people don't realize this, but your paradigm, your, your thoughts that you think without even thinking about it. There are studies that were done by neurobiologists and cognitive psychologists that say most of your behavior is habitual. 40 to 95%. 40 to 95% of your behavior is habitual. What's it, what's it mean? The way you eat. It's a habit. You don't have to sit down and think about how to chew food, do you? Even what you eat is done a lot by your paradigm. You're taught that, right? Certain families eat certain dishes. You eat at certain times. How many? I, if you're like me, I eat at 11 o'clock every day. If it's past 11, I'm going to die. It's just, it's just how I, I just, that's, it's my paradigm. It's how I think. It's, it controls when I eat and the way I eat. A paradigm controls the way you think. It controls your reason. Controls your logic. Have you ever had someone say, well, that's illogical. That's impossible. What are those? Those are paradigms that are being expressed in a moment that goes outside of their paradigm. Oh, you'll never be able to buy that building. Well, that's your paradigm. My paradigm says my God can and my God will. I mean, I, Jared, that, isn't that what Jeremiah 32, 27 was all about? That last year the Lord gave me Jeremiah 32, 27. It says, I am the Lord. Is there anything impossible for me? What was God doing? He was breaking my paradigm that limited God to do what he wanted to do. I didn't even realize it then, but I realize it now. Every time I've ever had a significant shift in my life, God's word began to press into me, began to reshape me and to reform the paradigm that I had. And the breakthrough came because my paradigm was changed. Some of you have never experienced breakthrough because of your paradigms. You've limited God. It's the logic. It's the reason. You know, paradigm impacts your creativity. Some of you say, well, I'm not creative. Well, that's not true. Every one of you were created in the image of God. All of us are creative. You just had someone tell you and shut it down. Now, you're not creative. You leave that to the creative people. So even last, this last month, I said, God, I've been saying, God, I'm creative. You're a creator. I'm a creator. Let me create new things. Why? You just got to change your paradigm. You know, paradigm uh, impacts your productivity. What gets done, how it gets done. It's all in the subconscious programming that is in your mind. Even the way you manage time is all about your paradigm. Your paradigm creates the reality that you live in. So whatever reality you live in, it's the paradigms, it's the programming, it's running in the background in your subconscious. That's why you're living the life that you're living so many people are so unaware of paradigm and the fact that it shapes their life. Most people live their life on autopilot. It's kind of like that self-driving car that you see driving around. See, you can sit in it. You can see what's happening around you, but you got no control as to where you're going. It's almost like a victim. And so you just victim of circumstance. Why? Because your paradigm is, is in control. You're just living life on autopilot. So you bounce to this situation and you bounce there the whole time, never taking control of the will of your life. And your life just going around wherever circumstance and situation takes you. Why? Because it's been on autopilot. You didn't realize you could change your life by changing your paradigm. And I believe that's why God brought you here to, to give you the control of your life again. To realize I don't have to be a victim. I actually do have control. So let's talk about paradigms. How are they formed? 
Well, a paradigm is formed through ideas that are planted in your subconscious mind. Ideas. Everybody say ideas. I know I'm trying not to preach because I need you to get this. Ideas. Everybody say ideas. Ideas. So they're planted in my subconscious mind by ideas. So if paradigms are created through the ideas that are planted in my subconscious mind, the question we've got to ask is how are those ideas planted? Come on, somebody. Right, we got to go back to, okay, if it's, if it's ideas that have been planted, how are those ideas actually planted in my life? Here's how they're planted. Ideas are planted into your subconscious mind by a repetition of exposure and emotional experiences. Repetition of exposure, and I would even say heightened emotional experiences. Heightened emotional experiences. So scientists actually call the exposure, the continual exposure, the repetition of exposure. The scientific name for that is actually environmental conditioning. Everybody say environmental conditioning. Okay, I want to just teach you this because it's really important. Environmental conditioning, that's how ideas are planted into your subconscious mind. So as a child, here's what's interesting. Your environment created most of the paradigms you live with today. See, think about your life as a child. You're in the home, you're in that place, and your subconscious has no way of rejecting any information. Your subconscious, which is the most amazing thing, I'm going to talk about it next week, it is actually unable to fight any idea that's placed in its, in its, in its core. And so that means just being in an environment as a child, think about this, it's a lot like a sponge. You didn't come with a program. You didn't come with this paradigm that was sent from heaven. No, no. Your programming, your paradigm was created as you soaked up the environment that you grew up in. So all of your ideas, all of your likes, all of your dislikes, when were they created? They were created in your childhood. I mean, think about the music that you like. Why is it that you like classical music and someone else likes rap music? You think you were just, it was in your DNA? No, it's your environment. Why is it that someone likes a certain kind of food and not the other? Some people love healthy food and other people love McDonald's. Come on. They think that's healthy and nutritious. Come on, somebody. In fact, them fries are still in your belly from last year. Hadn't even been digested. Think about the movies that you like. Why is it that some people and families gravitate towards these movies? It's all about your environmental programming. It's the ideas that have been placed in your subconscious mind as a child. Think about the cars you like. You know, if you grew up in a home with a dad that drew, drove a truck, you probably have a preference to one kind of uh, truck or another, like a Ford versus a Chevy. So you grow up, you're like, I ain't getting no, I don't want no Chevy, don't want no Dodge, I don't want no Toyota, and definitely don't want a Nissan truck, I want a Ford truck. Why? Because a Ford's a real truck. Come on, somebody, get out. I know I just split the church. Look, I know, you driving one of the others, don't get mad. Just, just hang in with your pastor, I didn't mean to hurt your feelings. Come on, just playing with you. Maybe you're a girl, you're like, I don't want a truck. Yeah, but your mom drove a BMW. And so you like a BMW, not a Mercedes. 
All that's environmental programming. All that's your, your paradigm. Why? Because she, you, every time you got in the car, oh, I like this BMW. I don't want no Mercedes. And so all the time while you're a child, you're just being programmed. You're just soaking up your environment, just soaking it up. It's all going straight into your subconscious. And without even realizing it, as you grow up, now you have this programming that's running in the background of your life. And you think that if I go over here, I'll change the world. Well, you can't change the world until you change your programming. Why? Because it sabotages you. You've been sabotaged from within. Why? Because all the dysfunctions that your family has, you have been pre-programmed with because of the conditional training and environment that you've been living in. It's that programming. And so here we are. We, we, you got all the phobias that you grew up with. You're not afraid of that because that's really what you're afraid of. It's what you're afraid of. Like, hey, don't ever, you know, be afraid of, don't ever commit to anybody. Well, if you came from a divorced family, that's probably the programming, the, the paradigm that was put in. You can't trust people. You got you to pick yourself up by your own bootstrap, right? All that is the paradigm that you grew up. It's the environmental training and conditioning that you grew up in. Even your politics. Look, we got a major election that's about to happen. And I don't preach politics. I preach kingdom. And so you're never going to hear me get up here and divide. But I will tell you this. You got to vote your values. Like, it's not about a candidate. I don't even vote for people I like. What do you mean, Pastor? There ain't nobody I'm going to like except Jesus. Why? Because nobody's perfect. But what I do vote for is I vote for policies. And there are some policies that I have to vote my conscience on. One of them is the right to life. Listen, every child has the right to be born. Can I get an amen? You have to, you have to fight for that. So there's a couple where it's like, man, you got you to fight for that. If we don't fight for the unborn babies, who, who, who will? And so I just want to encourage you, and I'm asking you, every one of you need to vote. Please don't not vote. People gave their life so that you'd have the freedom. You don't have to agree with me. You don't have to agree with the person next to you, but you do have to vote. So anyway, politics. You're a Republican or Democrat based mostly out of the home that you grew up in. Some of you just vote all one way or the other. It, you didn't even look at who the candidate was. It's just your pre-programming. Why? Because that's what you heard we vote for. That's who we vote for. That's who Kyle's vote for. It's all, it's all your, your paradigm. And when you're young, you can't reject anything that's been put into your subconscious. And so your paradigm and your filter, they now shape the life that you live. I mean, that's why one person can... Uh, always be on time and another person always be habitually late. I'm meddling now. I know. I know. If that's you, just look straight and give me a big amen and nobody will know you're the one that's always late. See, you think the person who's always on time that it's a miracle. Like they just slip up. Woo! I was on time. Just how'd you get there? I don't know. Just happened. I just, just, just happened. Just got there on time. No, no, no. You know why they're always on time? It's their paradigm. It's their programming. So what happened was they were raised by someone that said, don't ever be late. Why? Leaders aren't late. Leaders are early. And so there's this repetition of thought. It's like, oh, I got to be, I got to be on time. I got, I got to make sure I'm there. And so maybe something happened traumatic. Maybe you went to college. I went to college. I had this professor. I mean, it was the craziest thing. I'm, I'm in high school, barely past high school. I made straight A's in college though. Come on, somebody. Don't barely pass high school. But I, I did really good in college. And I never forget first semester of college, I go in and uh, the, the, the professor's a little bit grumpy. No big deal. He's sitting up there. He literally read the textbook. So 
he, he, he was, uh, I, I don't know, he just, he just literally read. And so I thought, man, I'm going to be late. I don't want to go to this class. Like, why would I be? I could go read at home. I'll just come in a few minutes late. And I'll never forget, he sees me walking down the hall. I'm not even that late. And he's like, and he locks the door on a test day. You know what I said? I ain't never going to be late again. It was a moment that impacted me. I'm like, never going to be late to class. I was never late to class again. So, so what is it? It's the paradigm. Now, the person who's habitually late, think about this. If you're habitually late, it's a paradigm that has been placed inside. Maybe your mom, your dad, your sister, somebody was always late. And then as a child, you're late. Well, listen, children are going to be late. Why? Because they're children. But then they say, oh, that's so and so. They're always late. Have you ever had that? Someone says, oh, that's so, they're always, you know, that's, they're always late. Well, then what happens? You're programming. It's like, okay, I'm always late. So then what happens is situations come across. I forgot to iron my clothes. That's why I'm late. I had a bad hair day. But I seem to have them a lot. Come on, somebody. I'm late. You know, traffic was bad. So what's happening is you're given an excuse for why you're not on time. And excuses always validate your reality. And your reality is I'm a person who's always late. You see how this starts to work? It's your environmental conditioning. And so same thing with someone who struggles financially. Someone who is doing really well and always does well financially, and the person who's always struggling, you say, well, it's got to be because their luck. It's got to be because God loves them and God favors them. No, no, you know what it is? It's their paradigm. It's their programming that's in the subconscious part of their mind that is steering their life. Because you find the person who is always doing well financially, it wasn't they got lucky. They work hard. They learn how to manage their money. They make good decisions in their finances. They got a good job. So they're constantly, their paradigm says, look, you can do this. And so they're following the pre-programming of their life. And they always do well financially, even when bad things happen. So the person that always struggles financially, think about it. Is it because they're unlucky? Is it because God doesn't love them? Is it because life's so tough? No, it's their paradigm. And so we find that no matter what, there's always an excuse as to why they're struggling. My car broke down. We had to go buy school supplies. And if I'm, if I'm talking about you, I'm not trying to hurt your feelings. I'm just telling you. It's, it's the lie of the enemy. And then, and then the excuse is, well, I had to go to the doctor. Well, can I tell you, all those things happen to other people, and they don't live struggling financially their entire life? So is it situational, or is it inter internal, and is it a paradigm that I've allowed to take the control of my life and unaware of it? It's a paradigm, paradigm. I know this in an amen message, I know, so here, look, so let me, let, me, let me help with the second way. So environmental conditioning, here's the second way. This one, I believe, is going to set you free. This one set me free. I'm, I'm going to be really open and transparent and, and very vulnerable in some of this. But when we talk about the second way that your subconscious mind is programmed, it's through heightened emotional experiences. So one of them is repetition you know, you're in this environment, it's how you program, it's, it's growing up, you're like this sponge, you're just soaking it up. One of them is just a heightened emotional experience. Something good or something bad happens that is extreme to your emotions. So it heightens you. It's like it was this traumatic moment. It's like from that moment, I was never the same. You ever had those moments where it's like I've never been the same since that moment? Now, you can have positive Heightened emotional experiences, but most of them are negative. 
So I'll give you a couple of positive heightened emotions experience that happened in my life. I'll never forget I was in Little League, probably 11, 12 years old. And Steve and I played baseball and coach put me on fourth batter. I was pretty good with sports. So if you don't know, if you've never been around baseball, the person who bats fourth is what they call the cleanup. Bases are loaded. So I get out there and I'm confident. I'm like, man, I'm good. I get out there, I hit a home run, knock every person in. And to this day, I have the baseball that says I'm a champion. I hit a grand slam. So from that moment on, there was a paradigm that was put inside of me that says, I am good with sports. I am coordinated. I'm a champion. And so that was an emotional experience that doesn't happen often. only happened twice while I played Little League. But it touched me in such a way, I'll never forget that one moment. I'll never forget the moment. I moved off to UTEP, University of Texas, El Paso. Friend was going up there to play football. I'd played some football. I said, well, we'll walk on together. Go up there. Running from God. Should have never went. My mom just blessed me, loved me. She knew I shouldn't have gone to. And she must have been on her knees praying. Because it wasn't three months later, I came back home miserable. Saying, I've been running. I'll never forget I was in a church service. This is before I was saved. Been raised in church. Came back. Pastor's preaching. I don't even know what the pastor was preaching about, but I'll never forget this moment. Before the message was done, I walked down to the front, threw my hands up and said, God, if you are real, touch me. And for about 30 minutes, I fell down just in the altar. I was crying. God touched me. And from that moment, I can go back to that moment. Now, I know I was in church camp, and I know I was raised in church, and my mama was praying. I even prayed. But from that moment on, I knew God was real. Something touched me. There's a paradigm. like, shit. Because, God, are you really real? I prayed to you. Don't really know. But from that moment, I've never been the same. I'll never forget a moment. I was a young adult. I just, I need you to get this because you're going to go and do some work this week. And next week, we're going to talk about how to shift your paradigm, how to change and transform your life forever. But I'll never forget. I was 18 years old. My mom take us out to lunch. And I don't even remember all the details of it, but I just, I'll never forget, she took me to this place that was in a shopping center. So we're having lunch and we're talking and she's asking how everything's going. It's going good, it's going good. And somehow in the conversation, good old mama, Jesus' sister, says a statement like this, son, even if you go to jail, I will love you unconditionally. Yeah, well, first I thought, why would you say I'm going to jail? I don't know if you even remember that conversation. But something was planted in my heart for the first time I felt unconditional love. It was at that moment that something planted in my heart that said no matter what happens in my life, my mama's always going to be there for me. It's a positive paradigm. It's a a positive, heightened, emotional experience that shifted my paradigm. Now, the challenge is most of these are not good. Most people have negative heightened emotional experiences. I mean, think about the young girl who is sexually abused. That in one moment, just one sexual abuse moment, her life is radically changed forever. She'll never be the same. It's a moment of abuse. It's a moment of trauma. And in that moment, there's an idea that is planted in the heart of this young girl. I can never trust Men. It's a moment of trauma. Now, do you think that idea came from God or the devil? 
Now, of course, that situation is horrific. And you don't want to know what I think we ought to do with people that abuse little kids. But I will tell you this. There are a lot of people letting one moment of trauma give them a lifetime of pain. And so in that moment, I'll never trust men so they have a problem with authority. I'll never, and so you, all through school, you're struggling. Why? Because men are teaching. You never did good in a guy's class who taught you. You didn't do real good in church. Didn't re do real good with your boss who was a male figure. And so you bounce from job to job. You barely got through school. And then you even get married. And so you get married and, and, and all seems like it's well. But the problem is you didn't deal with the trauma that was created by a man. And your husband is a man. And so that trauma begins to trigger in your life. And next thing you know, you end up divorced, but you were going to church. See, that's the problem. You came to church, came to Anchor Bend, gave your life to Jesus, and I believe in that moment you were justified. You're going to heaven. Devil can't steal your salvation, but the problem is we never dealt with the paradigm that was built in the moment of trauma. And he's been sabotaging your life. And so here you, you come in and it's like, praise God, and you run the play that pastor talks about. Pastor says, hey, come to church when? 52 weeks out of the year. 52 weeks. Look, and I'm glad you're watching online, but I want you to know that if you're going shopping, if you're going to the beach, if you're going to do other things, you got to come back and gather together in the house of God. There is something that is intangible here in this place. And so you do it. So here's what happens. You run the play. Pastor, I got involved in a small group. I'm experiencing freedom. You start going. You go to next steps. You start serving on the dream team. All is well. And then it happens. What happens? That trauma is triggered. Pastor didn't say something. You might have heard me preach something that, that touched that pain. You might have had someone in the dream team say something, do something. Might have been someone just walking up to this campus. And now all of a sudden, all these gains that you thought you made, all this progress that you're shouting to God about, all these things come back because in a moment of trauma, the old programming comes back. Why? Because you didn't even know it was there. See, you were never in a place of pain. Why? Think about this. When you got saved, you changed your environment. So you didn't have to deal with the things that triggered the trauma. And so you come to church, there are no trauma triggers until there is. And you bounce from church to church, place to place. Maybe God this, maybe God that. You're mad at God, you're angry at God, and it has nothing to do with God. I go back to the passage of Acts chapter 28, verse 10, 11. When you're ready, when you're ready, God's ready. God's been ready. And see, he came to this place today to tell you, I want you healed, I want you delivered, I want you set free, I want you to walk in the freedom that I have for your life. But it's all about the pre-programming. It's all about the experience. It's all about the paradigm. And we allow it to sabotage our lives. That's why Romans 12, 2, look at what it says. Do not conform to the pattern. The pattern. What's that? That's the old paradigms of what? The world. Well, what do you mean the world? Well, I, I live in the world. Yeah, yeah. But see, you're a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. And so I got to get rid of these old paradigms. And here it is in the Bible. Since God's been speaking to me about this whole unstuck, it is everywhere in the Bible. Look, look right here. Be transformed. By prayer. By worship. What's it say? Of your mind. 
where are paradigms, the subconscious programming that run in the background of your mind. So we sit here and we blame God. God, I can't believe. Why don't you? You're doing, no, no, it ain't got nothing to do with God. I've realized in my life it has less to do with the devil. It has less to do with people. And it's got everything to do with me. <clears throat> now, I want to I share, I'm going to just give you a little bit of a journey. I'm, I'm watching the time. Can I just tell you just a couple of things that God's really done in my life? Because I, I want to be, I want you to see how they can affect your life. And so for me, I realized I had paradigms. And I'm telling you, this is all real fresh for me. I've been in counseling for a long time. A lot of you need to be in In fact, I'd say every one of you need to be in counseling. It used to have such a stigma, like that's only the messed up people, like you're not messed up. And can I just, like we're all messed up, right? We all have trauma. We've all had experiences. But I, I had a tape that's been running in the background of my life and it was, you're worthless. I'm worthless. My life doesn't have much value. And, and I, I dealt with this a while back in counseling, but I didn't even realize what I was dealing with. The idea was planted. Remember, ideas are planted into your subconscious mind, and then they run in the background of your life. And so when you have a thing that says, I'm worthless, every time someone says they're going to promote you, every time someone says, hey, Kyle's, you're up. Hey, Kyle's, dude. you're like, no, no, hold on. Wait, no, he's better than me. Why? Because there's this subconscious idea that was planted in your heart that you're worthless. You're, you're not good enough. You, you're, your life doesn't have much value that everybody else is more valuable than you. I want you to know ain't nobody else more valuable than you, baby. God would have died just for you because he loves you. He cares for you. And he has a purpose for your life. The idea, this is how wicked the devil is. That idea was implanted in my, in my subconscious the same game I hit the home run. Think about that. The same day I had a grand slam, you're a champion, you're, you're, you're coordinated, you're good at sports, the idea is you're worthless, you don't have much value. I, I don't know what happened in the details of it. All I know is that I was expecting my dad to come to that game. No other games. I don't know why that game, but I, I don't know if we just passed in passing and hey, I'll try to be there, I'll be there. My dad was in restaurants and I want you to know, I have an amazing dad. And dad, if you're watching, you know, I, this is where there are things that are outside of your control that the devil will use to plant a seed that will defeat you if you let it. My dad's good. He's out there trying to provide for the house. And so I don't blame my dad. But as a child, as a teenager, I mean, it's still this letdown. It was such an emotional letdown. I never forget. I hit the home run. I'm running bases and I'm looking and I see my mom. Where's dad? We go to Peter Piper Pizza. You remember that? Peter Piper Pizza. It was like the thing back there. I don't know if they had that here. We lived in Southeast Texas. Peter Piper Pizza, man. That's where you go to hang out when, you, when you're a champion. <laughs> dad wasn't there. So if my dad wasn't there, then I must not be worth a lot. The job is worth more. The business, the restaurant. The, so worthless. So I wasn't important enough. I didn't have value enough. And let me tell you what I struggled with most of my life was insecurity and self-confidence. Why? Because those come when you have value. Very insecure. Second thing is, I, here's a lie that the enemy put in my subconscious is you'll never measure up. Now, this one was interesting. This just came to me last week. So you're getting this pretty raw. I was in pre-K. How do I even know that? I don't know how I know it. 
But I'm in pre-K and I got this teacher. She says, write your name. So we're writing her name. And for whatever reason, I was doing the best I could to write my name. And so I'm all excited. <laughs> Imagine little Jim. And I bring it up to the teacher. I don't even know her name. And I know she didn't mean it. She was mad after she looked at my paper. And she said, I cannot believe it. I said, what? She said, you didn't even try to write your name correctly. And she kind of went off on me. And I, I'm going to talk to your mom. And I thought, oh, my God, I don't, want, I don't want to get in trouble. So you know what I did? I lied. I, I tried. It was the desk I was on. The desk I was on had all these little scratches in it. And it caused me, and she believed the lie. But from that moment on, you know what I believed? My best is not good enough. As a pre-K kid. And look, the teacher, she didn't mean to do that. Listen, I know she wasn't being malicious, but the seed that it planted in my subconscious mind, remember, ideas are seeds that are planted in your subconscious. And I just realized last week that that's something that I dealt with when I was in pre-K. Here's another one you'll never measure. Uh, well, that was your never. Third one is this, and this one I knew about, and I've had to deal with this, is that I'm fat. Come on, somebody. Maybe you're like me. You got Dunlap disease. My daughter thought that was a real disease. She's like, Dad, oh my God, look, he's got Dunlap disease. <laughs> Somebody don't know what it means. It means your belly done lapped over your belt. Dunlap. So I'll never forget, I was 15 years old. I was an insecure teenager. Remember, I had already had that lie planted, you're not good enough. So I'm already insecure. And for whatever reason, I needed the affirmation of my older brother. And instead of affirming me, he said, you're fat. Now, he said that a couple of times, but for whatever reason, in this moment, I know exactly where I was standing when he said it. That word hit an emotional core inside of me that went deep into my subconscious. And ever since that moment, I have fought with my security in my weight. And you know what's crazy? Phyllis and I will go back and look at pictures. We've known each other since we were 15, 16. I look good. I almost got a six-pack. I'm like, what in the world? It's like, but you know what ended up happening? In my early 20s, I gained 50 pounds. There was a season where your pastor was f -f -f fat <laughs> by my standard. Like I was 50 pounds over. And you know what it was? I was living up to the image that was burned in my subconscious. Why? Because what you believe becomes your reality. That programming, you begin to live it out. And so I've had to realize, look, my body is not ugly. I don't care if I got a few extra pounds. Man, God made this thing wonderful, amazing. Right, I'm just telling you. It's your self-image. Why? Because the, image, the devil wants you to struggle with your self-image. And if he can defeat you in your self-image, you'll never be the person God's called you to be. You'll always walk around insecure. So think about that. And, and I'm, I'm telling you, my whole life, and this is the journey that I'm on. I want to uncover every paradigm that has been put in my life to sabotage me from within. I'm tired of blaming the devil. I'm tired of blaming people. I'm tired of saying it's you, it's this, it's that. The reality is it's me. I've got bad thinking in my subconscious that I've got to reprogram so that now I can actually live the life that God's called me to live. And so as we close, I just... I want to leave you with this passage. John chapter 8, verse 45. And uh, 
I went a little bit longer today, but I had to set the foundation. Next week, I promise, it will be an hour and 10 minutes. But I had to set a foundation because I want you to come back next week. We're going to deal with the programming in your life. And I'm telling you, you're, it's going to be, because I'm going to tell you how. I, I learned some things that have helped me indicate, oh, that's a paradigm. That's the, but look at what it says in John 8, 44. The devil is a liar and the father of lies. And so you have to imagine this. Just understand this. Anything that is not grounded in the word of God is a lie. If it can't be established by the word of God, it's a lie. And so you got to go back in and just say, look, devil, you're lying. So now I just go back. I say the opposite. Man, I am bold. I'm courageous. Man, I am fierce. Come on, that's my body. Isn't that, isn't that the word fierce? Look, they're like, pastor, what went out? It was funnier in my head, but I, I'd laugh at it. I thought it was great. Why? Because you just have, when you get that way, have, have you ever seen someone? Normally you, you meet them, spend time with them, you're like, I probably wouldn't be friends, but they have so much boldness, so much confidence, so much assurance of who they are. This is what I need us to do as a church. Listen to me. We pray God move in America. We need God just to move in this church. Because if we had a church who really understood who you are, See, some of you have been living in the old paradigm, I'll never be, I'll always be poor. No, baby, listen, you need to have the paradigm, I'm blessed. I walk in the favor of God. Everywhere I go, I establish the kingdom of God. And then you begin to, because here's what I know, this, you can get into a self-help so that I can live a better life. I'm going to tell you, a better life is not an easier life, it's a significant life. You're going to fight devils, but the reality is you're going to impact heaven. And that's what my life is all about. It's like, God, I'm not looking for easy. I'm looking for significant. God, I'll fight any fight you want me to fight. God, I'll go anywhere you want me to go because I know that what's inside of me, you placed inside of me because the world needs it. And God, as they see us living the victorious life that God created us to live, that's when the world says, my God, I want to be like them. My God, how did you do that? My God, you went through that and this is what happened and then you become the salt and the light to the world around you come on stand on your feet ain't nobody want to be like us because so many walk around defeated but if we could walk around in victory letting them see that God is real I promise you there won't be a place big enough to hold the church not this church the church because that's what people are hungry for. That God, you're real. Father, I thank you for today. Move supernaturally. Do what only you can do. God, I pray that in this moment, you touch our hearts. You touch our lives. You touch our minds. God, I pray, Lord, even today, just paradigms being shifted. Just even the awareness of God's situations that have put this programming inside of people's subconscious minds that has sabotaged them from within. God, I pray this week you would allow them to see. God, this week, allow them to go back and uncover some of the pain points, some of the trauma points, some of the environmental experiences that were repetitious that caused them to put that pre-program I idea inside of them. God, I pray that this week let there be an exposure of the enemy's tactic that the devil is a liar. The father of lies. Keep your head bowed and your eyes closed. Father, I pray 
right now. Touch them, Lord. Touch them, Lord. Touch them, Lord. Every person. Lord, just like an awakening has happened in me, God, do it. Maybe you could just talk to God right now. This is time for you to just talk to God. God, I love you. God, I praise you. God, I magnify you. Maybe just talk to him. Some of you need to say, God, I give you my trauma. He just wants to take that pain. Don't let a moment of trauma give you a lifetime of pain. Don't let it put you in a prison of your own making. I sense that right now, somebody. You're at that moment. You're like, God, I just, I want to give it to you. God, how do I give it to him? Why don't you just say, God, I give it to you. You sense the power of God in this place. Father, we ask you to do what only you can do. Can you just, maybe that's you. Maybe just raise your hand and say, God, I give you the trauma. God, I give you the pain. Come on, talk to him. Sing it. to do this we hadn't done this since you know the corona pandemic but could I get our prayer team down here pastors staff ministry team and look don't leave we're gonna I'm gonna dismiss you but here's what I sense I sense there's a deep work that's happening and what I would hate to do is send you out and you're feeling all messed up as I man if I just had someone pray with me so what we're gonna do we're gonna sing this just one more time maybe if you're coming down grab your stuff just come down let us pray with you. They all have masks on, so you don't have to worry about that. And don't leave just yet, though, because I'm going to pray. And some of you don't have a relationship with God. And what I'm going to do is after we sing this course just one or two times, I'm going to come back. I'm going to give you a chance to surrender your life to Him. Your heart's beating fast. And 
Maybe you've been around church. Maybe you've never been to church. Maybe you're watching online. I want you to know God's been looking for you. He came after you. And this is your moment that you recognize, man, I'm lost. I can't do it on my own. And you're here and you're ready to surrender. I'm going to pray you pray with you and lead you through a prayer of surrender. But if you want prayer right now, if you'll just come down, everybody else, can we just sing this? Then I'm going to lead us in a prayer of surrender. Come on, let's sing this up. You want prayer, come down, let us pray over you. continues to pray here in the the front they just keep praying i want to do this would you bow your heads and close your eyes if you're in the congregation if you'll just take a moment just close your your eyes and just bow your head just the, the reason i do that is just simply to get rid of distractions i believe right now there are some of you here today in this moment you don't have a relationship with god maybe you know about him maybe you don't know a lot about him what I know is the grace of God is in this place to save you. We call it salvation. Someone says, well, why do you call it salvation? You call it salvation because we're saved from the penalty of sin, which is eternal separation from God. It's a life and eternity in hell. 
Someone said, well, if God loves us so much, why would he send people to hell? He didn't send anybody to hell. In fact, he loves you so much. John 3, 16 said that God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. To what? So he'd come and give his life as a ransom. So we might experience salvation. And thank God, Jesus, when he came to this earth, he lived a sinless life. He willingly gave up his life on the cross. And we know that he died on the cross. But here's what makes Christianity different. Our Jesus is not dead and in a grave. He is alive and well. And it's the resurrection power of God that raised him from the grave. And here's the good news of the gospel. See, we loved him because he first loved us. It was this unconditional love, but the good news of the gospel is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is available to us here today to resurrect our dead spiritual self into new life with Christ. And that's the exchange, the sin nature he takes. We take his new nature. Justification happens. I don't know, that may be big words, but... All you got to know is there's an exchange. And it's not based on your works. You can't earn it or deserve it. It's received by grace through faith. Well, pastor, what are you saying? Simply believe. John, in the book of John, you want to read about salvation? 98 times in the book of John, he talks about believe. I believe. So I, I, I believe there's some of you right here. You're ready. You're ready to put your trust in Christ to save you. I believe. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, the Bible says you will be saved. And I believe this is a moment of salvation. Many of you watching online here physically, bow your head, close your eyes. That's you. As an act of surrender, would you just raise your hand and say, Pastor, I'm ready. Maybe it's a recommitment. Maybe it's like, God, I'm going all in. I'm coming back. You're like the prodigal son and you say, I'm all in. I've come to my senses and this is my, this is my turning point. This is my, my moment. That you just raise your hand. Yes, 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 yes. If you're online, just say, that's me, that's me, that's me. Just type it in the box. I'm gonna lead you in this prayer of surrender. Pray this, say, Jesus, I surrender my life to you. I give you everything. Wash away my past. Wash away my sin. Forgive me, I repent. From this moment on, I will follow you. In Jesus' name, never once said.